newness of life. Verse 5 says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And today, with the help of the Lord, I want to preach to you on this title. I'm not sure what they title it up there, but down here it's In His Likeness. They got it right. In His Likeness. I wonder before we, before we get into this, before we proceed, if we could just raise our hands all across this place. One last, we just want the Spirit of God to move in this place today, to have His perfect way. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, again for this opportunity to be together in this place. God, I pray that your spirit, God, would speak to us today. God, that we would open up our minds and our hearts to you. God, that you would touch the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this place. God, that you would do what you want to do. God, we've gathered in this place today, God, because we need you and we need your help. God, in the name of Jesus, have your way today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated in Jesus' name. I will try not to be long-winded. It seems that I have sort of got that reputation lately without even trying, but I understand that you guys have obligations today with your family. There's probably food being prepared, so I'll be quick, but the deal is, is this whole day is about this. Amen. This, it's about Jesus, and it's about his resurrection, so we're going to take a little time. In his likeness, in the Christian world, um, we make the claim that we are on a journey to be like Jesus, to be like him. We sing songs. I think there's even a song that's titled, To Be Like Jesus. Oh, to be like him. We have songs with those sort of uh, um, wordages and themes. And so we ask ourselves questions like, what would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? We get ourselves into situations in life's predicaments and, and we're, we're having to make a decision. We have to handle a situation and we wonder what would God do? That's what we do. I know I ask myself that all the time. How would Jesus handle this situation? How would Jesus respond to this? Because as a Christian, our desire is to be like him in his likeness. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So because Jesus was a servant, we desire to be a servant. Because Jesus made himself of no reputation, we desire to have no reputation we try to do away of, of things with, that have to deal with pride and ego because that's what Jesus did. Because we want to be like Jesus. 1 Peter 1 and 16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Because Jesus is holy, we desire holiness. We desire to, to conform to the will and the nature of God. And that's why we want a closer walk with him. Because when you begin to walk closer with Jesus, you begin to be more like him. 
You begin to walk closer to his will that he has for you. It begins with a close relationship. Matthew 5 and 48 says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Because he is perfect, we strive for perfection. And that's, a, that's the, you know, there's questions we ask ourselves. Is it possible to be perfect? Well, I'm striving for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try for it. That's my goal. I'm going for it because he says he's perfect and he wants to perfect us. Amen. Because of his great love towards us. While we were yet a sinner, right? When we were down and out, he loved us. That helps us extend love to others because we want to be like him. His endless mercies make us want to be more merciful towards people. How we respond to people, we oftentimes take a step back and we ask, how, how would God respond to this? Because his grace is sufficient, we are then more graceful towards people. I believe it's in our DNA to desire and to strive to be like our Father. I believe he put it in our spiritual DNA that we would want to be like him. Even in the natural, we grow up wanting to be like our father. As a kid, I thought my dad was Superman. I, I, you know how it is when you're a kid, you want to be just like your dad. I grew up wanting to be just like my father. I wanted to be a hard worker because he was a hard worker. I wanted to be honest because I seen him being honest in his dealings. I never heard him complain much and talk bad about people, and I wanted to be like that. There were tough times growing up, even financial uh, times that were trying. He didn't blame anybody for it. He just worked hard, and I wanted to be like that. I grew up watching my dad desiring to be just like that. And I believe God created us in a way that we are at our very best when we are like him. It's in our spiritual DNA to be like Jesus. Amen. To be, to conform to his nature into his will. That's why we, we put away the things of the flesh and the things that the world has to offer. And there's so much out there. There's all sorts of entertainment. There's all sorts of things that we can do. And some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But my desire and my goal is to be like Jesus. <laughs> what would Jesus do to be like him? We read of this concept in the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. We read back in the beginning at creation that we were created 
in the image of God, to be like him, in the likeness of God. And, and I believe what God was, was looking at, he was looking ahead to his redemptive plan back in, in, in Genesis. And, and that redemptive plan um, created us as he sees himself in human form as Jesus Christ. He was looking ahead to his redemptive plan that he was going to manifest himself in flesh in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. This is what he was talking about. This God had a plan from the beginning to do this. So in the image of God, what does that mean? Colossians 1 and 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of, of sins, referring to Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Amen. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. We read in Hebrews 1 and 3, it says, he, uh, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. God created us in his image. In other words, to be like him. Or to be like Jesus. Amen. To be like Jesus seems sort of unattainable. It seems almost, in our, in our human way of thinking, it seems unrealistic. It seems like something that cannot, be, that cannot happen, a task that cannot be completed. But the Bible clearly states that nothing... Amen. That nothing is impossible with God. And scripture is full of stories of impossibilities that were made possible. So in our flesh, it is impossible to be like Jesus. In the old way of life, it is impossible to be like Jesus. When we are, when we are bound by hell's chains and death's grave, it is impossible to be like Jesus. And that is why we celebrate Easter. Okay? This is the reason we get excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what seemed unimaginable and unreachable is now made possible. Amen. Through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was impossible, but he broke the chains. It was impossible in the old way of life, but he gave us a new life. Amen. He gave us a way that we would no longer be bound by hell's chains and death's grave. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly, Above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Amen. God can do it. Nothing is impossible with God. Everybody say nothing. Say, my situation isn't too hard for God. It was impossible that Pharaoh would let the Israelites leave. But God, but God showed up. It was impossible 
that the Red Seas would part. Amen. But God showed up. Amen. It was impossible that a little shepherd boy would take down a Philistine giant. But God showed up. Amen. It was impossible that Gideon's 300 would take down the Midianites. But God showed up. Amen. It was impossible for the walls of Jericho to fall like they did. But God showed up. It was, it was impossible for a sinner like me to be saved. But God showed up. Amen. I was without hope and in despair. But God. Amen. Are you following me today? My family was falling apart. But God. I was struggling with depression. But God showed up. I didn't feel like there was any place to go. But God showed up in my life. My situation was impossible. My family was falling apart. But God showed up. I'm here to tell you that nothing is impossible when God shows up. No matter what the situation is, what you've done, what you found yourself doing, if you will give God an opportunity, he can change your life forever. But God, that phrase in scripture is mentioned several hundred times. It would name a statement and be like, but God. There was, it was, the situation seemed homeless, hopeless, but, but God showed up. So when you find yourself in that situation, just say to yourself, but God, but God, and he's the anchor of our soul, amen, but God, he can, he can work it out. You've come here today battered, broken, and bruised, but God. You've come here today with a situation, but God. I believe that he can change it all around for you today, amen. He did it for me. He's done, if he's done it for you, why don't you just raise your hands all across this place? If he changed your life, why don't you just raise your hands and begin to praise him here today? Hallelujah. Let's just testify today of what God has done in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But God. John chapter 9 and verse... 18 records a story of a young boy who had received his sight. Verse 18 says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. So the neighbors didn't believe him. The Jews didn't believe him. The, the Pharisees were called up in verse 19. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son? Who ye say was born blind, how then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, and he shall speak for himself. And these words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews." For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. It says one thing I know. That whereas I was blind, but now 
I see. Amen. There was a young man, amen, who was blind from his birth. From the very beginning, he wasn't really given a chance. Amen. Have you ever felt that way, that, that from the very beginning, it doesn't seem like you were given a chance. You were born in sin. You were born into drugs and alcohol, maybe. From the very beginning, you weren't given a shot. I'm here to tell you that the devil is a liar. Amen. The devil is a liar. He wants you to think that. But I'm here to tell you that God is the author and he's the finisher of your faith. And it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. God changes things. But God. But God. He was hopeful. He was going to be blind the rest of his life. He was blind from when he was born. But God showed up. There was a great miracle. Jesus took some clay and he rubbed it into the boy's eyes and told him to wash. And he obeyed. It's interesting in just every miracle through scripture, there was the hand of God and there was the hand of a human. God would do what he could do, but he would also have us do what we would do. When God parted the Red Seas, Moses had to raise the staff. When God healed this young man, he had to go wash in the pool of Siloam. There was a human element, but God did it. And this little, this boy obeyed God. And this miracle, it caused an uproar in the neighborhood. The Pharisees were called up and they, they brought the boy's parents in and they, and they started asking them questions. And, and his parents were like, this is our son. We know that. And we know that he was born blind. We know that. But we also know that today he sees. And we don't know how. We don't know the, de- the, the, the details of it. But he's our son. He was born blind. And today he sees. Because God showed up. Amen. Because God showed up. The parents told them, ask the boy. Ask the boy the details. He's of age. And the boy responded, I don't really understand exactly what happened or how it happened. But I can tell you one thing, that I was once blind and now I see. Amen. Because God showed up. When God gets a hold of somebody's life, impossible things happened. Let me say that again. When God gets a hold of your life, he works out those impossible things. Chains of addiction are broken. Amen. Relationships are healed. Families are made whole. Depression is changed to joy. Anger is changed into patience. Anxiety turns to peace. Guilt and shame are gone. Destiny and direction are changed completely when God shows up. And your resurrection, your new life is possible today because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That happened over 2,000 years ago. Actually, under, just a few years under 2,000 to be exact. About 2,000 years ago. It's made possible today because of what he did then. Isaiah 53, 
The book of Isaiah was written about 700 years prior to Jesus, and Isaiah prophesied. He said, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Amen. We read all those scriptures in the New Testament that talk about that Jesus would sit on the right hand of God. This is, this, is what, this is what Isaiah is prophesying about right now. The arm of the Lord being revealed. That was Jesus Christ. Amen. He, he was the, the power and the strength of God in action in the redemptive plan. So who hath revealed the arm of the Lord? It's revealed in Jesus Christ. It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form and nor, nor, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ did what he did on the cross for you. And for me. Amen. He did it for our sins. He did it for our sorrows, our griefs, our transgressions. He did it for our iniquities. He did it so that we could be made whole and so that we could be healed. That's why He did it. The rolled away stone that they found that morning. It wasn't just a miracle that happened then and on that day. But it was the start of a whole new chapter of miracles that God would do in the lives of whosoever would believe. Amen. We, we celebrate it as a day in history. Amen. But it was a, a chapter that was turned and it's still alive today. That plan of salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection, it's still alive and working today. Amen. The resurrected Christ appearing to the disciples was just a forerunner of things to come. I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44 says, and he said unto them, this is, this is after he rose again, and he, he appeared to the disciples, I think, three different times, and he would talk to them, give them instruction, and, and Luke 24 records one of these moments. In verse 44, is, and he, he, he said unto them, to the disciples, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. There was a whole bunch of prophecies that had to come to pass about what Jesus had to go through, like what we just read in Isaiah. And Jesus was telling them this had to happen for prophecy to be fulfilled. 
Verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. He said, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. These were the last things that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. He said, listen, what just happened had to happen. I told you that it was going to happen. Prophecy needed to be fulfilled. But here's what I want you guys to do. We have to, you have to preach repentance and you have to preach remission of sins in my name. He said, and this is going to start in Jerusalem. He said, I want you guys to, to go to Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, and wait for the promise of the Father. I mean, this is what the resurrection was all about. This is what the whole death, burial, and resurrection was all about, that Jesus would fill his disciples, would fill his people, both Jew and Gentile alike, with the promise of the Father. We started out talking about to be like him. This is how, this is how we get to be like him. We read that scripture in Romans 6 again. It says in, in verse 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So how, to, how do we be like him in the likeness of his resurrection? It's through the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father we read in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1. Luke, Luke wrote the book of Luke. And what the scriptures I just read to you were the very, was the very last chapter of Luke. And, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And he kind of picks right back up in Acts chapter 1. He says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. So Jesus showed himself alive after they put him in a tomb. And we've seen him. There was many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So for a 40-day period, Jesus would appear to them and teach them. In verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Amen. God wants to give each and every single one of us a new life. Amen. And if you're here today 
and you've already, you've already lived this and you've already received the Holy Ghost, if there's some things that you're struggling with, he wants those things to be passed away. He wants, you, he wants to take your weakness and turn it to a, into a strength. God is interested in turning stones. Amen. He's interested in making the impossible possible. When looking at the temple, the, the disciples were walking one day and they seen the beautiful temple. And they kind of asked Jesus what he thought of that. And he said, there's going to come a day when there will be no stone unturned in that temple. And a few decades later, that temple was completely destroyed. And actually, history records that it was, uh, it was commanded that they would actually remove every stone from each other. But God is interested, and in t- the whole reason for that is he, he was doing away with the old. Okay, the old tabernacle. And he wanted us to become the new tabernacle. He was doing away with the things of the past because he had something new for you today. And he's interested in turning stones away and making the impossible possible and giving you a new life, a new direction, a new perspective. And it only comes through the power of the Holy Ghost. And when we say Holy Ghost here, that's just King James slang for Holy Spirit. It comes through the Spirit of God. And we read in the beginning of Acts, Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. We read in Acts 1 that that promise was the Holy Ghost. Because John the Baptist baptized with the baptism of water, but Jesus was going to come and baptize with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we read in Acts 2. And this is when the day of Pentecost was fully come. This is the moment that Jesus told the disciples to wait for in Jerusalem. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues. Amen. This is how we walk a new life. Amen. There was a big uproar in the city and, and they were speaking in tongues and there was some, you know, people were wondering what is going on. They thought they were drunk and, and we read that Peter stood up with the 11. He said, these are not drunken as ye suppose. He says, but this which you see is that which was prophesied in the Old Testament, that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Amen. And this is the power of God that we need in our lives for the impossible to be made possible. Amen. They, they realized what had just happened. They, and Peter stood up and he preached unto them the first New Testament sermon. And they realized that they had crucified Christ. That this Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And they realized it. And we, read, we continue reading in Acts 2. It says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom 
we cru- whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we got to do to be made? What do we got to do to receive what we just seen? We want the Spirit of God. What do we got to do to be right with God? What do we got to do to receive Jesus? And Peter said unto them, You've got to repent. You've got to turn from your old life, the old ways. You've got to turn from sin. Amen. You've got to turn from the world. You've got to turn from wickedness. You've got to be sick of it. You've got to turn from it. He says, and you need to be baptized, every single one of you, how in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. There's got to be a death of the old man, and there's got to be a burial of him. We need to put him away, and God will wash away all your sins. And then he said, then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So to be like him. How do we be like Jesus? Well, Jesus died. They buried him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again. Okay? How do we be like him? Well, God has created this pattern for us that this old man, this sinful man, amen, this this man that has no hope, that's walking down the road of destruction, needs to die. Okay? And he needs to be buried. There needs to be a funeral of the old man. Okay? And then there can be a resurrection. Amen? And we're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the plan of God. That's how we are to be like Jesus. This is what John was talking about. John chapter 3. He wrote it down. There was a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And and Nicodemus showed up. He said, we know that you are a teacher that's come from God. For no man can do these miracles that that you do. And and Jesus just kind of interrupted him. He said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He said, what do you mean? Can Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus is like, no, you must be born of the water and of the spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. So like that scripture says, we're we're buried with him in the likeness of his death, in baptism, right? So that we can rise up to walk in newness of life in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. It's the gospel message. And it works. Amen. Let's stand in this place today. If you're here today and you just need something from God, if you have a situation, if you need the Holy Ghost, if you've never received the Holy Ghost, I'm here to tell you that God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He wants to fill you with his spirit. If you've never had your sins washed away, In the waters of baptism, we have water ready for somebody to have all their sins washed away. Okay, this is how we are to be like him. And today it's it's 12 o'clock. I didn't do too bad. We're just going to take several minutes. 
And you're welcome to come to the front and pray.